Goody care blood, ain't you? Never come back again. It's got a death curse. Welcome to The Last Theater on the Left. My name is Chris. My name is Joey. And welcome back to the podcast. It's been a long time coming. Uh, I did have a little bit of a podcast by myself a few months ago. If anyone out there listens to it, it's about the movie House. You, did a, you did a good job. And how dare thanks. you do an episode without me? Right. Right. I'm, I'm totally kidding. It was a great episode. Well, this is something like that I've been wanting to do for a really long time because I really love movies and I love talking about movies, but it's always been, I don't know... We had a different format to this podcast initially, and yeah. it had to and do... I really liked it, too, yeah. but it's it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it had to do with the name of the show, the website, and everything else, The Last Theater on the Left. Um, you want to talk about like what we used to do and kind of where we're going? Yeah, it started off like we you know we just like go into the movies and we always talked about the movies like a lot of other best friends do, and of course we're best friends, long time, and... I was like, hey, let's go to like the, kind of almost like the reverse of the bum show, which the bum show is always the first screening during the day where it's the cheapest. Oh, yeah. Which but, is the one I always try to go to. Yeah, yeah but I always enjoy, uh, in addition to that, the other thing I really like was, especially we had a movie theater over here nearby where we live, and it was the perfect theater for that last screening all the way on the left end of the stadium seater where it was like a half stadium with like three rows right (laughs) and it was the other half of the room was the broom closet right and i called that the last theater on the left and it just kind of spawned over the course of a few years and their last show on a thursday was always like the last movie that had its day right and they threw it in the broom closet but i love that room it's such a cool room and i always said let's just go and watch whatever's playing during that time and yeah. it doesn't matter what it is that's what we're doing the podcast about that week right but you know as time went on we just syncing up schedules is the worst it's tough yeah especially during the week things like that yeah, yeah. you can't be always ready to go thursday night nine thirty. right a lot of us just have to work and <laughs> right. i could probably get special schedule to get it off but yeah just yeah. after a while i kind of turned into well some of those movies are really bad and yeah and money's and money, man. Stuff we don't always <laughs> want to talk about, which is kind of one of the reasons I wanted to refocus what The Last Theater on the Left is. And for on the website for the past few years, I've kind of talked about it being just straight horror. But we've kind of gone, I want to take it in a little bit broader direction because I feel that maybe as broad as horror is, sure. I think it's still a little bit too narrow because I do want to talk about some other things. Yeah. So the focus of the show is really going to be Horror, but also like cult movies, uh, exploitation cinema, trash cinema. And just fun. Yeah, fun movies that kind of get forgotten. So it's in the same kind of similar feeling, same tone as The Last Theater on the Left. Those are the movies that were on their way out that nobody wanted to see at the time, but they were first run. But we've kind of opened it up to movies that people maybe forget about, don't talk about as much, look down on, which people look down on horror a lot. I mean, there's obviously rabid fans of horror, but I'm talking about like mainstream, I won't use finger quotes for Hollywood, but even just general moviegoers kind of look at horror of any type and think there's no value in it. And part of what I want to do with this show and with my website and everything I do is to kind of talk about how much value and artistry and... Horror is cinema. Like, I use cinema as, like, the art word for movies. Yeah. And it is, and it's important. 
I think people need to know about it more. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself, Chris. So we are hard relaunching this podcast <laughs> by tackling yeah. a super massive franchise. Right. One of the biggest ever. And yeah. it's not dead yet uh, as of press time. Yeah, I, I hope not, at least. But no. that'll be a conversation for the probably one of the last episodes yeah. we do about this particular franchise. Right. But it is 13 days away from Friday the 13th this year. Yep. And, yes. Which just are. happens to fall in October, which is, for the general population, the month of horror. But, of course, for people like you and I, it's horror is... Every day. It's here. Yeah. Regular ass people need an excuse to watch horror right. movies in October. We, right. we need no excuse. <laughs> we would have done this if it was Friday, January the 13th. Right. You know. <laughs> but yes, Friday the 13th franchise. Top to bottom. Yep. Everything that's happened as of this recording. So and, yeah, we're going to be talking about each movie in the series, including the Freddy vs. Jason and the remake. We're going to talk about each movie in a podcast on its own. So just kind of kind of a movie review, but also just kind of talking about how we feel about it personally and what it means to us. Maybe a little bit of the history and trivia and things like that. Just kind of an all-encompassing kind of thing yeah. about the movies. And then it, towards the end, we will get to our... We like to do rankings, if you're familiar with our shows uh, that we do on cnjradio.com. Uh, we like to rank things, so we will be ranking the movies in order. Um, maybe like a ranking between the two, but also if we disagree at all, which it might happen. It could. We'll, there is going to be debate. Yeah. We are best friends, but we do like healthy debate. We do approach movies from a different perspective, I think, and I think that's what makes it... Because even just watching... So this episode is the first, the original, Friday the 13th, from 1980, and we, even just watching the movie back, we've both seen it. Countless times. Yeah, first question I had for you, Chris, and I'm going to lean on Chris Lab. Uh, you can probably tell even just by the tone of our voice. Chris is Chris is the he's Doctor Stats. <laughs> he is he's my straight man to my crazy man. You know, a little I'm a little more banal. Chris is very on point, and he's usually going to be right more often than I am. <laughs> that being okay. said, I'm going to ask Chris a lot of questions because I respect his opinion uh, as a person and as a film watcher. How many times have you seen this movie now, Chris? Um, now, Chris, Chris actually was raised on horror movies. He's a lucky man. <laughs> I was not. I was. I was told that they were the lowest form of entertainment. Right. I was pretty much forbidden to watch them. I had to sneak them, or go to my aunt's house, or go to a friend's house. I was that yeah. kid. Chris was raised by a horror movie aficionado. <laughs> my dad was big into horror, and he had. Back in the days when VHS, and he had a wall of VHS that he recorded off the movie channels, and I would say a good over half, at least, was probably horror movies, yeah. and all kinds of horror. Like We're talking classics, black and white, Universal Monster stuff, all the way up through, at the time, like this one. Uh, Friday the 13th and the slashers and things like that. So, even even the parodies like Saturday movies. the 14th, yeah. I, I know was in that collection <laughs> yeah, somewhere. I bet did. it was. Yeah, it was. I saw it when I was a kid. Yeah, I had to beg my mom to let me rent a copy of this from a Skaggs. <laughs> Skaggs. <laughs> back in uh, back in Abilene, Texas when I, I was like that. 10 love, years old. I love that name. Yeah, Skaggs. You remember, just you remember sounds, Skaggs? It was, it was yeah. like an Albertsons or yeah, anything it, else. It sounds like dirty or something. I don't know. It sounds mean. <laughs> you just replace one letter and it is yeah. dirty. <laughs> so that was my journey with it. I think I first saw it probably around, it was like around the time that part eight was out, 88, 89. Okay. And um, so I don't know. That might have been when you saw it too. It was probably know. around the time that I saw it 
as well. Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't really into horror movies so much when I was little because they scared me. Sure. But then it was. I was pretty young when that turned. When that changed. So it was probably around that time. Uh, it was probably like 87, 88 is when I first uh, started actually watching horror movies. Yeah, are you at least into the double digits on this one as far as watches? Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe past 20 or just I would under? S- mm, right around there. Yeah, I me would, too. I would have to guesstimate because I don't watch it every year necessarily, but some years I watch it twice or yeah. more. So. I might be on the one to two average per yeah. year on this one, especially the first one. Yeah. So yeah, I've seen the first one the most out of any of them. As we go along oh, yeah. in the series, there's a few that I haven't seen very often. Me too. They're more on the latter end for sure. Oh yeah, like I think I've seen Jason Goes to Hell maybe twice. Yeah, yeah, me too. Two or three. Yeah, like every time I've purchased the box set, it's been a rewatch. Yeah. So I think from the original watch, yeah, probably three. This will be the fourth yeah. once we get to it. I still have the embossed. A VHS yeah. copy, yeah, but totally. I'm only I'm like when I'm looking through the shelf, I'm like, uh, maybe uh, next time, maybe later. And it's not uh, that bad a movie I've heard from other people because I don't remember it as much. I remember what happened anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're no, getting but back to the first yeah, one. Back to the first one, the OG. It's a cla- like what can you say about the first one that hasn't been said? It's a classic. It's the template. It, I mean, it borrowed heavily from other movies that came before it. Sure, but. The first Friday the 13th is kind of the template for the slasher movie to this day. Yeah, as far as what gets borrowed from the most. Because if you're going to borrow from the earlier ones, it's going to be so obvious. Yeah, Black Christmas, Halloween. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw, of course, yeah. And you can see those movies in this movie. Yeah. But, like, the way that it's set up, especially, like, even the setup in the beginning where the girl goes to... Okay, so fair warning, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be full of spoilers. Yeah. Uh, all of these reviews are because we're going to be talking about the movie as a whole. So if you haven't seen Friday the 13th and you're listening to this, it's kind of strange, but go ahead, stop now, pause it, go watch the movie and come back. Exactly. All right. And you're back. Yeah. So the setup at the beginning, it's the girl goes to the small town, meets the locals, there's the Harbinger of Doom, there's the gas station. How many slashers have you seen with that setup? Is, of course, that was Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. with the stopping at the gas station. But they even parody that in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, you know. So even when even when we're talking about parody, that is the template. Yeah. Not even any of those other ones we mentioned before follow that formula to a T like that. So, right. Yeah, you're absolutely right in saying this is the template for most slashes. Yeah. And the thing that really, and I probably should save this to the end, but I'll just say it now. The other thing that makes Friday the 13th really stick out mm. is that all those other movies I referenced, and probably the closest this statement gets is Black Christmas. Yeah. This has a feel that it actually could really happen more so than Halloween for sure, yeah. and more so than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those seem just far off base of reality, even though they're filmed very cool right. and they have a sense of reality to them. Friday the 13th definitely has more of a realistic feel to it. It does, yeah. Because I I just feel like that one is, you know, especially with the ending. Yeah. It's not uh it's not a monster, right. made, you know, like it's not a superhuman thing. Yeah. It's just a really cunning person. Right. <laughs> you know, and I just don't see the other ones happening, but this seems like it could. That that's really where I'm coming at with it. Yeah, so. it does. And have you watched we just finished watching this movie about 20 minutes ago. Have you watched Friday the 13th the way we watched it just now, knowing that you're going to have to be talking about it? No, because uh, I noticed a bunch of different things that yeah. I was like, oh, I should point that out. There's little things like, uh, 
Like the Bill character, for instance. Yeah. I never really paid that much attention to him ever right. in all the times yeah. I've watched this so many times. But I really noticed him this time. And the reason I did that is because I, I tried to go in without thinking, well, I know who the killer is. Right. I really tried to approach this with someone watching it in the movie theater in 1980 for the first time. Right. Who are the true suspects? That's the angle yeah. I took this time. And I think once I, I think I said it out loud at the very beginning. Mm. Oh, that's a suspect for someone who yeah. hasn't seen it. And then we, they started to pile on after a while. That's yeah. That you point that out. That's one thing that I realize in myself. I have seen it twenty something times, but I have always known. I can't remember a time when I didn't know who the killer was. Mm-hmm. So every time I watch it, when. There was one instance um, after Bill kills the snake for Alice. He yeah. gives he there's a look and they pause. The camera pauses on him, and you interpreted it one way, and I kind of interpreted it a different way. But I, you said it seemed like that was setting him up to be the killer. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. he he looked like he did it, and he went into this like lucid state in his head because yeah. he just had a reaction where he just you know that when you right. when you take a breath, yeah, and he just looked like he did it, and it didn't mean anything right. to him. And to me, it felt. Like, he was looking with a little bit of remorse. Like, he felt bad for killing this living thing. Yeah. And I realized that I was probably interpreting it from the point of view that I knew that he wasn't the killer. If I didn't know, I might have been more open to seeing it in the way that you described it instead. And so, I think that was a good point, because I looked at it differently once you had said that. And I did see that they were... I mean, Ralph, the... The crazy guy on the bike. I mean, he's obviously set up as a suspect early. Sure. But he, of course, at the end of the day, he's just the harbinger. Right. I like that he turns up in the sequels, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but how many more suspects are there? There's the uh, bike cop. Yeah. Uh, Officer Dorf. Yeah. 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 Dorf on crime. I thought it was Dorf when they <laughs> oh, said it. I well, thought it was a reference, but it's not. In the credits, it's D-O-R-F. Oh, okay. Dorf. So it's not like Brad Dorf. Yeah, it's that's like, what I thought. It's like when Tim Connolly. Okay. Right, yeah. All right. <laughs> So Ralph, Officer Dorf, Bill, maybe, and then Steve, the counselor or the head guy, yeah, Steve, Steve Christie. Christie yeah. yeah, he's set up as a killer. I think early because he leaves the camp in the jeep. You could eliminate most of these people as potential suspects if you listen to the dialogue. Yeah, I mean it's not just in how they deliver the dialogue. Yeah. What's Steve Christie's motivation in being the killer? They mm. even said early on in the movie he sunk like twenty five grand into restoring the camp. Yeah. Well, why would he start killing people to give it bad press sure. if he has that much investment? Think about twenty five grand in nineteen eighty. Oh yeah, for sure. So adjusted for inflation, that's damn near a hundred grand, right? <laughs> At the same time, it's established early in the movie, like right away when they all end up at the camp, that he has some sort of weird thing for Alice. So True. there might be some sort of weird love thing going on in his head. So you don't really know. So it does kind of leave it open. And there's another part that you pointed out, or that we kind of pointed out together, is that uh, Annie, the counselor that was supposed to be the cook, that ends up being not the first one killed in the movie, but the first one killed in the new opening in present day. She's picked up in a Jeep, and just prior to that, Steve had left the camp in a Jeep. Yeah. And it's actually the same Jeep. They yes. use the same Jeep. They just dressed it a little bit different. Yeah. yeah, I hit up the IMDb trivia before this. So they said same Jeep, soft yeah. and hard top, uh, adjustable. Yeah. So same Jeep. So that's either a 
nice coincidence to lend a little more credibility to Steve might be the killer, possibly, maybe. Yeah. He's kind of the outside suspect. Sure. But it's either coincidence or they actually... They did seem to put a lot of thought into the structure of the movie, though, because they set up a lot of things really well in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I even had the nighttime waitress as a suspect because <laughs> yeah. she looks like the Freddy Krueger diner waitress from Nightmare 4. Oh, yeah. So I immediately pinned her as a suspect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but she does. A little bit of yeah. that, a little bit of Dame Edna. Okay, all right. <laughs> we'll move on. Dame Edna is a really... You have to be a certain age right. to get that reference. You're dating yourself. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Some of these are going to be old enough to vote. <laughs> but, yeah, so they do set up a lot of suspects. And I, I guess I knew that, but I never really thought about it because i haven't watched it with the intent of kind of breaking it down like i did this time and i was watching camera angles and different shots the way they used them and the way they built tension we talked about the music and how they did that it's all really well done and surprisingly well done for a movie that as the series goes on it the quality isn't this much right and this is a pretty this is a very basic movie there's not a lot to it really but when you look at the characterizations of the characters there's a lot of subtlety to it and there's a lot more going on between these characters that isn't necessarily explicitly stated sure but you can see it if you look yeah and and all due respect to sean cunningham obviously we we bow to him but Mm. the way he comes off in all these documentaries is he's kind of like i want to make a dollar in a cent in this business and it seems like he's not super hands-on when it comes to production time right but he really lucked out in getting a team that would apparently just do anything to make this as good as humanly possible. Yeah. Tom Savini, of course, being one of the MVPs. Sure. But the whole crew and cast, there had to be some magic that was made right there yeah. to where they, they were just like all in it at the same time. Yeah. They're sleeping at the camp for the most part. And that attention to detail is there with the POV shots. Why mm. do they do it? it that they go for a certain height why are you showing that hand right. you know things like that yeah. there's a lot of cool things that just make it so next level that you know it doesn't matter what your budget is whether it's right. five cents or they had half a mil for this apparently yeah if you don't if people don't care about how good the movie is and, and just looking for those things leave that out don't put that in. Yeah. Put that in. That's that's great. You know, just doing everything on the fly, but yeah. always caring about it. It makes all the difference in the world. And you can tell that everybody who worked on this probably did it for next to nothing. Oh, yeah. But they were probably having the time of their life. At the same time, you know, they made a super quality movie. Maybe mm. it was by accident, but it, it just feels like there was a lot of love put into the production. It does. I don't think that you can have something this put together and it be an accident. Yeah. There was obviously... At least a few people that were putting this together that had the vision to make sure the script was good. And the actors, like a lot of young actors, Kevin Bacon's first movie, I want to say. Yeah. His first feature, anyway. Yeah. And to where he was at least sixth on the bill. Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and so I'm assuming a lot of these people on the cast and crew, it's, it's not their first movie, it's one of their first movies. Yeah. They're all hungry. Yeah. And like you said, they didn't get paid much. And. They're not, like, the actors aren't all the best, but they do the job well, and it all comes together to create a really quality movie. Because you look at other slashers from the time, and you can put something out there and probably make almost, you can make good money, I'll say. You'll make your money back. Right. Yeah. If it's just, I wouldn't say garbage, but if it's very simplistic, and it doesn't have to have all this subtlety to it. But I think the staying power of 
this movie in particular is because of the quality of the script and the quality of the production. And and the sheer genuine nature of the execution in this movie yeah. that really adds to it, they're not thinking sequel. Yeah. There is no thought, I guarantee you there's no thought at this point that they're going to make a sequel. The producers merely just want to make their money back at this point yeah. versus, hey, you know, this is this could be our only shot at yeah. this, you know. And that's one of the things that kind of, that leads into something else I wanted to talk about real quick. Before the movie started, you were talking about, do you want to break down the point of view shots and see which ones you think might be Jason and which ones are Mrs. Voorhees and kind of do that. And hmm. I kind of looked at you and I was like, I never really thought about Jason being in this movie because to me, there's no reason for us to believe that Jason is in this movie at all. Right. So that leads into, and I might be inconsistent in some of my questions here as it concerns because I'm used to the Jason as a killer timeline sequels and here on. Now I know that there's a lot you have to forgive to even intend part two. Yeah. However, it, it, it does bear asking the question, I think, when because of I, I asked you about the POV shots and what you thought because once we get to number two what is it a couple years out in time from you know maybe a oh, two like couple in years, universe time yeah in universe yeah, time something like that. I don't know the exact year of what it's supposed to it's be like one or two years yeah and it's down the road apparently and all this other yeah. jazz because it's a different camp if I'm not mistaken I th- I th- it's across the lake or something yeah. it's on the same lake but it's a different site. Yeah. So that being said, let let's say two years, sure. just as a base for sure. for the point of argument here. Jason, as that killer, in the sequel is mm. a, is a grown ass man. He's yeah. a huge guy, right? You know. So if you take the if you take the storyline from one and say it has to lead into two, mm. I mean, there is a good chance that Jason's lurking around in the, in the forest there and he saw most of if not the whole thing happened sure maybe he wasn't a killer yet but he was damn sure living in the woods i don't th- you know miss Voorhees thinks he's dead oh yeah he was living in that shack for a long time that's pretty obvious yeah they they established the shack in the yeah. second one so he's been raised by wolves his whole life yeah <laughs> so you know that's one of the things I, you kind of have to forgive too it's like how what and they never explain lived off deer carcasses or whatever you know i mean yeah Yeah. but that's a that's a real reality you know like if you're self-sufficient and you have to eat soon you'll figure it out if you want to live so let's make that argument that he's been there the whole time i dig that part about it i think that almost gives an excuse to a sequel more than most movies I've ever seen. Yeah. They just kind of went about it a little bit the wrong way when it came down to doing the second one. But I like the idea that Jason saw most of this stuff happening. If you watch it with those eyes, it actually enhances the movie. Emotion. It does, because to me, this movie kind of stands on its own. Yeah. It's kind of an outlier for the rest of the series, really, because they needed to continue the rest of the series. Therefore, they created... They kind of It's kind of a retcon of what it happen they're like well it's it doesn't quite max match up and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it doesn't really matter so much because one of the things i like about some of these classic killers is you don't have to explain so much about their background that's why the remakes usually suck yeah the more mysterious they are oftentimes when done the correct way it makes them scarier yeah but from this movie by itself there's no reason to believe that jason was any of the pov shots in this movie 
they're all Pamela in my opinion. Sure, yeah. and that's fine. I just because the sequels exist, yeah. that's one way to approach it in future yeah. viewings. And we can kind of talk about that because I know there's a story they talk about Jason being in the camp in one of the later movies, and we can talk about that when we get there. I believe they mentioned at the beginning of it's two, two or three. It, I think it it's at be the beginning of two. The guy tells the story yeah. or the urban legend yeah. about Jason, and, that's, and he mentions that he saw his mom killed. But that's the thing; yeah. it's a story told by a character in the movie, which doesn't mean it's true. Right, I, I'm with you, but yeah. I dig the fact that he's almost he's he's closer to it than he realizes. Right, possibly, yeah. possibly for it's, for the sake of why he's roaming yeah. around in two in the first place. Yeah, it's like the truck driver and the people in the town in this movie in the first one. Whatever they think about the camp might not necessarily be true. They said something about the water being bad at one point, and there was nothing else about that. It seems that they've created this stigma about the camp, and they're kind of making up stories in their head. Yeah. And I believe that is very much intentional. Yes. Know? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats <laughs> right. living together. Mass right. hysteria. <laughs> but another thing I wanted to mention about the point of view shots, I really, they did uh, an awful lot of them, and I think it was really well done in the way that it drew us as an audience into the movie mm -hmm. because a lot of times especially with some of the characters like Annie in the beginning when she's riding in the in the jeep with Mrs. Voorhees and she's looking directly at us yeah. in the camera yeah and so a lot of what these movies are of this type of this type of slasher it's not about the slasher so much as it's about just it's a body count movie yeah. and it's all about the kills and the creativity of the kills as it gets more sure. and more along in the yeah, series. Yeah, of course. On the surface especially. Yeah. I mean, there's more depth to it, but at the end of the day these movies rely on the kills. Sure. And therefore, like, the POV puts us in the perspective of that killer, and so it's kind of a kind of a statement of, like, this is what you want, this is what you get, you are in this role, you're almost killing these people. Because they're looking, even Steve, when he gets stabbed towards mm -hmm. the end, the Steve Christie, he looks directly into the camera as he's dying. Yeah. And a few of the other characters do as well. Yeah. little film school there. The, <laughs> that, that him running into the shot with the uh, yellow slicker on. Yeah. Love that shot. Yeah. I can always find one really super artsy shot to defend it to even the right. most jaded of film snobs. Like, mm -hmm. that's a good shot. And then the other one when Alice later on runs out of the shot. Yeah. And she just seems to fade. Right. Like, it's a fade in and it's a fade yeah. out. And I love those shots. Like... Yeah. The night was so kind to them in these movies. Oh, like, yeah. even the fake weather they have to perpetrate, you know, it, that's all forgiven when you can get great shots like that. Oh, yeah. I just love that stuff, man. Really and the, do. And just one other thing about the point of view shots. The fact that they use them so much throughout the movie mm -hmm. puts, the, puts the audience on edge because we don't know... After a certain point, they use them so often, we don't know when it's a point of view shot and when it isn't. Yeah, you said you noticed it more yeah. this time. So we don't know if the killer's actually there or if it's just a normal shot. So mm -hmm. when a character comes by, are they about to get stabbed or they, is this just a normal shot in the movie? And I think that confusion kind of builds to... It helps put us also in the role of the counselors, the people getting stalked, because you don't know what's going to happen next. So I think it's really well done in that way because they set up some of the normal shots almost like POV shots. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. That's me looking at how it was structured in order to enhance the tension. I think it's, yeah. it's really, it's like I said, really well done. You spent, you spent a few months in film school, didn't you? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. That's, yeah. that's see, 
people can go to film school and still enjoy horror movies. They don't yeah. they don't deprogram you in that sense. Well, I yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's well, I've always kind of looked at movies this way, but sure. I think it it it, it kind of helps add a little clarity to what I had thought obviously, but any movie can be well made in this way and I think that's a lot of people don't see that depth when they when you watch a movie because a movie like this is very visceral and it's all about the reaction. These horror movies are about what it makes you feel. It's not necessarily about deeper meaning, although you can read deeper meaning sure. in some of these movies, but it's more about the visceral reaction of what's happening on the screen at the moment. And there are techniques to make that, to heighten that effect. And that's one of them is using those POVs and confusing the audience in the correct way. Yeah. Dig it. Okay. So I know this is sort of the elephant in the room for us because <laughs> we did kind of discussed this prior to recording I had mentioned how much I love the post Miss Voorhees death, and you know, maybe I'm easy. I don't know, and I've scared enough people with it right. that I'm always just gonna love the the boy jumping out of the lake scene. But then you almost kind of like pulled back when I said that. So now I want to talk about this with you, Chris. <laughs> I didn't pull back necessarily. Well, a little bit. You I mean, I was bit. like, I love it so much, and you went ah, and yeah. I was like, ooh, here we go. So I was thinking of how to say. Why it. don't you like mm-hmm. this scene at all, Chris? Explain I, it to me. I don't hate it, but I I get why it's there. I understand why the scene is there. And we're talking about Alice after she kills Mrs. Voorhees. She's in the canoe. She's on the middle of the lake. The cops show up. Boy comes out of the lake, Jason, with all the dirt and yeah. slime and grime, and she yeah. he pulls her into the water. She wakes up in the hospital bed. See, yeah. the movie ends in a very beautiful way. Yeah, it has that great Henry Manfredini music going on yeah. with the uh, it's a- close up on Alice's face, and it's just her eyes as they fade slowly into the lake as it yeah. zooms in. It's, it's a nice slow burn. I it's love a it. great ending, but I feel to me it's unnecessary. I don't think it completely takes... It's such a left turn from the trajectory of the rest of the movie that it just feels out of place to me. And I think, to me, it feels cheap. It feels like a cheap jump scare in there for the sole purpose of being a cheap jump scare. And I don't necessarily like those because I can list... I can rattle off a whole bunch of movies. I don't want to spoil any movies that I have seen that in that I don't like. Did you like the Carrie jump scare? Uh, it was okay. It made more sense, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's obviously the where the influence is for this, I, yeah. I think, at least. I mean, there were there were some others. I don't want to say the movies, yeah. though, because I don't well, want to... Well, we already said spoiler. spoiler. Okay, yeah. Okay. I, well, we're spoiling. I didn't even say what the Carrie jump scene was, no, so you may not be expecting <laughs> it now. But I'm sort of not, and sort right. of spoiling Carrie. But there's, there's other ones, too. The end of Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't like. I don't like that. See, and I don't like that, but I love this. Yeah. Now, now, if you don't like the the boy jumping out of the lake so much, let's say they don't do it. Okay. That's way more forgiving of the sequels now, isn't it? What do you mean? But because like an unaged boy, like twenty fucking years later, like you know. He's had to have aged, so it gives well, credence yeah. to the fact that Jason's full-grown and a killer. So if they d- if they and, didn't do it, yeah. But it's obviously just a dream. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. It- and you should know, by the way, I, I just thought of this th- this last time out of the right. 20 freaking times we both watched it a right, piece. Right. This is obviously a dream from the word go, 
because the cops showing up with the lights on makes no sense. Yeah. They're not coming around to check around every hour like yeah. that bike cop thinks that he's going to do right. looking for grass. <laughs> no, he's not doing that. So the cops showing up with all sirens blazing with both cops riding in the car. Well, lights. And there weren't sirens, to be fair. Well, yeah, lights. So you know that it's a dream right off the bat. If, yeah. if you know, if, if your brain is on, you know, if your brain is operating on full power, <laughs> unlike mine sometimes, then you know this is a dream. True. So, I mean, leave it alone. It's a good scene. I, <laughs> I don't have a problem. The fact that it's a dream and it's obviously a dream is a good thing. I think it does confuse people from the sequels thinking that since oh jason is here so was that real yeah I mean, they're, obviously they're it's not they're dumb if they think well, that yeah i mean there are a lot of dumb people that watch movies but <laughs> sure um, nobody I, listening to this podcast though i'm sure exactly you are you are powerful and attractive people but doesn't it make i mean it definitely makes it more entertaining because your alternative is an unentertaining loader in the gurney uh show a little passage of time she wakes up you don't have to you can end it on the lake you can end it on the lake. Yeah, the uh, head, the head flying off, blood, yeah, and her hands come up, and yeah. you see, you see that ring on her finger that you've seen in all these POV shots when her yeah. hands come up with the blood yeah. spreading out of her head. Yeah, and I love that they went back there yeah. again. Yeah, that totally made it. That's a good ending. It is a good ending, and it doesn't, it doesn't take everything that happened before it and kind of say, well, you know, that was fine, but here's a jump scare. Yeah, but people need breath. They need to breathe. Like, just ending it, just doing a there will be blood ending, <laughs> just going to black after that. I don't know, man. I, I I think people needed to go home with something else other than that. And not that that's not a great ending, but at the same time, I think they made a good choice. And it's still, it, it, it takes care of it on both ends. You either make a sequel or you don't. Either way, you're gold. But yeah, either way, that doesn't fit into the sequel. Well, that's true, but at the same time... <laughs> The stupid people will totally <laughs> we'll accept the sequel, <laughs> just like I'm way. doing right now. I guess it's uh. it's as much of a... It makes about incorporating that into the sequel as actual actuality. It makes as much sense as this guy was just hanging out in the woods while his mother was doing all this stuff, and she didn't know about it for all these years. That makes yeah. about as much sense. And he didn't help her because he thought he, she had it well at hand. Sure. But, um, you know, hey, you can never take too many chances, so live and learn. Yeah. Well, that's another thing I want to talk about real quick. Just real quick. This, sure, is, this sure. is a small thing. One of the things that seemed odd to me, not necessarily odd, but something I just kind of wanted to see what you thought about it, Ooh. is that why does why does Mrs. Voorhees play with Alice when she didn't play with any of the other characters in the movie when she was killing them? My initial excuse was she's just winded from killing all day. Yeah, but she goes in. But yeah, but no, yeah, yeah. She but, goes into she she throws Brenda through the window. Yes, books it out to her jeep and drives back Heck. around with the lights on to fool Alice to make her think that she just arrived and she doesn't know anything. Yeah. And she goes into this whole speech about these counselors and my son and all this which eventually leads up to her breakdown again where she's talking as jason and herself at the same time you got me flashing back into one of my favorite <laughs> movies jfk where it's like lee rv oswald books it down right. six floors and he's not out of breath right yeah she's not out of breath yeah so why did she do that to me okay. oh you go ahead first and then i'll, I'll kind of talk 
I, you know, the only thing I can, without being, you know, just making a joke out of it or yeah. making light out of it, the only thing I can really think of is that she's no longer in stealth mode, and this one's kind of for her. Like, she she has nobody to, to hide from. Yeah. It's She knows more than Alice knows that it's just those two yeah. out there. Yeah. And that's it. I, and think, that's I think she's obviously getting yeah. off on it. So I think it's playing with your food. I think yeah. it's... You know, it it's you know the torture genre. She is she is in torture mode now. She yeah. is no longer in stealth mode. She is pushed all in. This is part of her revenge. Is yeah, actually toying with this girl. I'm gonna make this one count. Yeah, and that's the only uh, theory I can really give it credence for. Yeah. You know, so. I mean. If you look at it just from the movie perspective, it's obviously just to kind of draw out that final sequence. It's also to make the movie ten minutes longer to get it at about an hour. <laughs> but and you a half. get a fight out of it too. And yeah, you wouldn't have a good fight a f- too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good cat and mouse. Yeah, <laughs> I like the I like the face in the sand like everybody yeah. else. Uh. Because you look at someone like Michael Myers, and he did play with people, but he played with people from the start. Mm-hmm. He didn't wait until it was just one person. He didn't. He never changed his tactics. And Pamela Voorhees changes her tactics throughout the movie, and I was just, I was just curious what you thought about why. Yeah. It, it, and if you believe like murder psychology, the more you kill, the more you lose touch with reality. Yeah. So she obviously lost a lot yeah. of touch with reality yeah. from the word go, but it, it's only just multiplied as time sure. has gone on. And that's one of the thing. Like I like it's not a, it's not actually even a problem for me in the movie because sure. it, it does make sense. I was just curious as to... Because I like looking at the motivations sure. of these characters. And it's hard with someone like yeah. her because she is insane. Now, I want to put to anybody out there who's listening, before we get to the the little fun breakdown here at the end, really want you guys to interact with us. Make yourself a part of this show. I got to know. There's somebody out there who's going to do the comic book guy breakdown on this. And I, I would love to hear from you. What is the difference between the original cut and this uncut version that is on the all the boxes of oh, all these yeah. DVD releases yeah. now? I And I guess it's been so long since maybe I've seen the original maybe. cut that I don't know the difference. The only yeah. thing I can think of this time around is uh, I saw a blatant shot to the crotch of Mrs. Voorhees <laughs> during the initial fight scene in the yeah. cabin. She like takes a board or the butt of that <laughs> shotgun and rams it right up the, the gooch, you know? And yeah. uh, she goes down for the count for about a standing seven or eight. Yeah. So that's the only thing I could think of. But please let me know if you're out there. I mean, I mean, anyone who's listening to this, you're you're probably uh, been watching this longer than us. You maybe know more about it. You're probably in the fan club and you go to all the cons. Mm-hmm. I really sincerely want to know yeah. the difference in anything that garners from the original VHS to this new version that they, they yeah. trot out the last two or three times. Let I'd me like, know, please. I'd, like, I'd definitely like to see a breakdown, too, because I didn't notice anything either. Yeah. I would, would be willing to bet that there were no added scenes. The only thing I can think of that they were just extended or added shots to already scenes that were already there yeah is the only thing i can think of but i could be wrong so let us know all right and uh the only thing i really uh kind of shoehorned in for all these podcasts that i want to do especially when we do horror or sci-fi sure uh i'd like to pay tribute to a living legend of cult cinema joe bob briggs <laughs> a little bit of a, a quick breakdown and he would always say up front, actually, when he introduced the movies, yeah. how many breasts you can expect <laughs> and how many interesting, uh, whether it's, a, uh, I think he even called it like CD foo, when the CD gets shot to the head, like in uh, okay. Hellraiser 3. <laughs> uh, you know, and he'll say two uh. beheadings, six breasts, two stars, you know. But 
do we have any of that on this one? We will in a lot more of them, I'm sure, down the road. But there's no breasts in this. Yeah. Are, oh, you yeah. yeah oh, yeah. No, no. The Kevin Bacon uh, scene, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Marcy. Yeah, Kevin Bacon gets lucky. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, oh, the other fun thing about the IMDb trivia is that Kevin Bacon has played a character named Jack in, like, six movies. Yeah. And this is this is the first of many. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so is it two breasts or is it one breast? Do you do you count them in pairs or individually? Uh, uh, the same woman okay. only counts as two, max. Okay. But if she only shows one, it's one. Okay, so, so two. Okay, so two breasts. Pretty sure. And one beheading, that. right? There was one beheading, yeah, one beheading. One beheading, two breasts. All right. <laughs> Adding to the star factor there. I can't believe this only has like a six and a half on IMDb. Things a yeah. damn classic. There's too many snobs out there. Like, okay, I, I if I'm gonna I rated I think all the letter A's that I own at one point right. and I never finished it, of course. <laughs> right. And I gave like two nine stars. Like mm. one to Amadeus and one to uh, American Werewolf in London. Yeah. That that's my brain. Yeah. Six and a half, though? Seriously? It's, it's, I mean, is it, is it down low. to the people rating at ten and then one? I'm sure that's a is lot that of what it? it is. That's what happens on IMDb. Yeah. Is you get the people on the, the far extremes. Like, this is the worst movie ever. I've never seen it, but one. And the other people that are like, this is the greatest movie ever. This is Nothing is better than this ten. Yeah. And both of them are wrong. I will say that. Sure. They're, they're, there are better opinions than others, and those opinions aren't great. Yeah. Because it's... It's better than a six and a half, though. Yeah. I since since I'm since I just said it right there, nine stars for American Wolf London and Amadeus. I think I can give this about an eight if I'm would, if I'm doing that, and yeah, I'm just doing this on the fly. Sure. I'm not, don't quote me on this, or you, you put it on the box. That's fine. But I would eight say out of ten if you're doing ten stars. If you're doing half stars, I would say seven point five. Probably. Okay. All right. Because I think there are there are definitely better movies, but. Watching this again, it's been not too long. I watched it last year, I'm sure. Yeah, screw that. I don't want to do stars. Just good, <laughs> bad, and fun. Let's go. Let's go old school. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a very good movie. Can we have yeah. a like great movie? Very good, great. Ah, uh, we'll figure it out All down right. the road. Watch the movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, that's, for that's sure. the basic thing because it is quality. It is well put together. Good script. Good subtlety. We didn't even talk about some of the character interactions that oh, yeah, that are there. Yeah, but yeah. if you watch them, there's definitely relationship things going on between these characters that's that can be pretty deep if you look yeah. at it there's there's like a pseudo love triangle going yeah. on that no one ever actually there's kind of two yeah but no one ever takes the other guy seriously right. you know so but there's two love there's two potential love triangles right. in this which is kind of neat yeah. if there hadn't been a killer in this movie <laughs> this would have been probably a pretty good drama like love drama thing because yeah. something would have happened between these it would have been like five stars like right. Max at that point, though. <laughs> yeah, sure. you got you got to have you got. But you have... still would have had boobs in it, so yeah, you probably yeah. would have had more boobs, yeah. honestly. But this is so disparaging to women. Let me say. <laughs> All right, you ready to wrap it up? Yeah, right. take it away, Chris. All right, well, you can. Listen to this podcast and all the rest and the remainder of the 13 days of the Friday the 13th marathon, I guess we're doing, of these movies, mm-hmm. um, all on The Last Theater on the left, which you can find at cnjradio.com, along with Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always play 10 songs, no more, no less. Also, stay tuned on cnjradio.com for The Synaptic, featuring Randy Brown, a true alternative, great music show as well, and completely different than mine, and that's how we roll. Also, Chris does blog for Last Theater on the Left. Always super readable reviews. Very fair. Very entertaining. And also, stay current on Pro Wrestling with Wrestling House Show with Chris. Also on cnjradio.com. I try to as much as I can. Website for all things rock culture. Contact us through the website. Go to our Facebook 
Twitters, things like that. You know how to do it. Yes, all you kids. Way more well-versed at it than I am. So send me those comparisons between uncut and original and guaranteed way more comedy on these sequel watchings because this was mm-hmm. this was so film school. But let's see if we can find anything remotely snobby to talk about on all these other ones without being disparaging. Are you calling like, me snobby? No, no, no. <laughs> what I'm saying is as we approach these sequels, it, yeah. how much did these filmmakers care versus the original filmmakers? Yeah. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. So we are going to break it down in the way that we did this one, but we're going to find out how much the rest of them actually gave a damn. So you're expecting much from two? Do you remember it that much? No, I'm, I've I've mm-hmm. seen these. I, I watched the whole thing about a year and a half to two years ago okay. once I got the Blu-ray box set. I'm very snobby about my Blu-ray box sets. But this is a good one to own, and I watched them all, and I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> I always see a few different things, you yeah. know, and we're going to talk about it, so I'll, I'll save it for part two. But it's not terrible, plus there's a Kiss pinball machine in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Does that give it an automatic star? <laughs> At least an extra half star, yeah. just for that. All right. <laughs> That's me. If you know me, you, you understand why I do that. Okay. We'll be sure to check that out pretty soon on day two of the Friday the 13th Marathon on the last of the year on the left. Thanks for listening. Bye.